0: Ah, great. Another episode where Isaac's talking to himself about conspiracies.
1: And if you don't like what we tell you to believe in, we'll kill you. Uh, I'm waiting gazing with tranquility keep your eyes open i'm singing songs of love then when the herd you've got demand well
0: another 911 came and went it's been uh it's been uh 22 years since the first 911 actually it's not the first 911 and we'll get into that a little bit later uh, but this was the first 9/11 for me that felt like there was no 9/11 at all. Uh, it came and went without any fanfare, without any new information or any real conversation about the event, whether it was an inside job, or uh, whether there's enough respect, for 9-11. The only news about 9-11 that came out this year that I hadn't heard about before was uh, a local guy here in Sarasota, Florida being called out for stealing 9-11 survivors uh, of valor. There's a conservative radio host named Matt Bruce, who for the better part of a decade now has uh, made a career out of telling everybody that he was uh, a firefighter who went up tower two and the building collapsed on him and it broke his ankle and he was buried in rubble for 13 hours before he uh, he limped his way out. Uh, God, how to describe this guy? I never heard of him before, but when you look at him, he's one of those fat guys who has a belly like an orb, you know, like he's just this floating like orb of fat with like limbs and a head kind of attached on it and it just it doesn't like tilt in one way or another like you know how like a chicken head like when you hold a chicken and you move a chicken's head it stays like it stays still that's what that this guy's belly is kind of like uh like whether he sits down or lays down like the belly stays in the exact same position anyway this guy got called out for stealing 9-11 valor and uh, it's pretty evident that he's lying. I mean, there's there's no question about it. Why it's taken this long? I mean, you know, the internet's been around for a minute, so w- why just now? Who knows? Uh, again, maybe it's just like scraping the bottom of the barrel kind of thing. But what's funny is uh, the local newspaper, The Observer, who wrote this story, reached out to him and asked for some kind of uh, evidence. To show that he was a firefighter in New York on 9/11, and it, the evidence he sent them were like blurry pictures of like pieces of paper that were attached to his wall or something, and it's the, they're the kind of photos where you know when you accidentally take a picture of something and it's like whooshed and blurry, like that was what he sent them. Uh, but in you know the the funny thing is is like yeah call this guy out but you know. This is what you're going to get outraged about in regards to 9-11, is this guy, and you know, not the guys. Uh, I'm not going to get into that this episode, don't worry. But the point is, is that 9-11's boring now. Nobody cares, and I kind of want to understand, how did we get here? Because 9-11 felt to me, for a period of time, like it was the door, it was the gate, that everyone was going to start to walk through and open their eyes. And they'll see how things work. That's uh, kind of how it worked for me. But that, I was so wrong. And maybe I'm complicit in this too. Uh, what did I think was going to happen when you know it became normal? When questioning the 9-11 narrative was no longer dangerous? It's kind of like gay marriage now. Uh, hold on, just hear me out. <laughs> it's kind of like gay marriage and the legalization of, of marijuana is that it's no longer culturally dangerous or edgy or risky to to do this now. You know, the 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 memification of 9/11 perhaps I don't want to use the word PSYOP, but perhaps was allowed because it neutralized the danger. We made it too funny. Meanwhile, uh, the Saudis continued to whitewash all of their crimes. Uh, There was even a a New York Times article uh, written by a Saudi think tank uh supporting the saudi government on the in the new york times on 9-11 this came out uh so they're winning even though the evidence is mounting against them it's very clear i mean it it is undeniable the saudi royal government's complicity in 9-11 i mean we can you know dig past those layers there to see who is really in charge again that's not what this episode is about so I'll stop right there but it's got me thinking about how important it is to memorialize things properly how how remembrance is whether you put it on a statue on a stone or whatever if you don't remember things properly they die It, it doesn't you lose you lose the truth you get further away from it. So how do we remember something? I mean, think about think about how the Zoomers experienced nine eleven. What is what is it there for them to even remember? They weren't even alive when that shit went down. So how do you make Zoomers care about nine eleven? I mean, the thing is, is nine eleven is still going on today. It is it is not a single date. It it. The the tremors of 9/11 are massive, and I mean, not imperceivable. So how do you get them to care? Should we tell them, hey, did you know that you didn't used to have to take your shoes off when you went through the airport, or how how annoying that is? Will that make them care? I don't know. But on this year's 9/11, it was the 22nd anniversary of our 9/11. It was the 50th anniversary of what I would call the first 9-11, which was the coup uh, of Chilean President Salvador Allende. It's hard to understand just how significant the CIA-backed coup of Allende was. For those of you who don't know, Allende was a democratically elected eh, Marxist-ish Although, you know, was probably careful not to describe himself as such initially. But he was a doctor, wealthy elite of Chile, who won a democratic election in, I think it was 1970, to the surprise of even himself. After getting elected, he began to institute nationalization policies and economic reforms that might prove that socialism can work you know when people are like give me an example of like where communism works uh and they'll point to like failed states I can call them failed states like venezuela or cuba or the ussr or whatever uh and of course it's very funny uh because it's like yeah well the you know There's a reason why they didn't succeed. And I think Chile is the ultimate instance you can point to where you can say, yeah, this didn't work because the United States made sure it didn't. Nixon and Kissinger saw Allende as a massive threat to the United States project. If Allende could prove that you could attain socialism through democracy, it would be a Example for the rest of the third world. And they ain't going to have that. Uh, Allende nationalized the copper mines. He gave poor people money. (laughs) It was pretty simple. Um, And so not going to happen. Not going to allow it. Uh, The United States made it so that the IMF and the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank immediately stopped lending money to Chile. So they got cut off from the global market. And what happens when when you get cut off? Uh, the United States also paid the truckers of Chile to strike. And so goods were not um, even transporting within the country. So they were cut off internationally, and they were even cut off at a national level from markets this led to a certain level of discontent from uh, the people of Chile blaming Allende they tried a a snap election of sorts to take power away from Allende Uh, they thought they were going to win they did not win a majority in the Senate uh, or enough to uh, oust Allende so he remained so the next move was a military coup led by, well not led by, but eventually uh, led by uh, the very famous uh, Augusto Pinochet. Uh, the event that occurred, there's, there are some very interesting documentaries, but it's, it's pretty fucking wild to watch the Chilean military bomb their own presidential palace allende and his supporters went to the presidential palace in santiago to resist this coup they bombed it that would be like the military bombing the white house which honestly you know kind of cool maybe depends not i'm not advocating for that anyway there's some real i i have nothing but respect for allende what he tried to do and how he would end up living the last moments of his life. When he went to La Moneda, the the presidential palace, he knew he was going to die. And they gave him many chances to surrender. Now, if he were to surrender, they would probably just execute him anyway. So he took his chances, death on his own terms. He and just a few of his most loyal men remained uh, at the end of the coup. And the the most poetic moment for me uh, in the coup was when Allende killed himself because he killed himself with the gun that Fidel Castro gave Allende. Fidel kind of warned Allende that like, hey, man, like I I like your project, you know, doing this through, you know, democratic means instead of like the more authoritarian way that the Cubans went through it. But he kind of said, like, you might want a gun. You might want to actually get rid of some of these people, have a a fighting chance. Well, Allende blew his brains out with the gun that Castro gave him. So what happened after that? Well, you had a military dictatorship for the next 20 or so years. Uh, You had Pinochet stamp out dissidents, uh, the Desaparecidos, they were called, the Disappeared. Uh, He would just pick up dissidents and drop them out of helicopters into the middle of the ocean. Um, The most famous dissident uh, is Victor Jara. And I spoke about this on the last podcast. Uh, I'm going to do a Florida connection here with Victor Jara for you. Uh, Like I said last time, Victor Jara was a Folk singer, socialist, Marxist, whatever you want to call him, in Chile. Uh, after the coup, he was promptly taken, along with 25,000 other dissidents, to uh, various soccer stadiums throughout the country. That's where Victor Hara, the folk singer, had his hands smashed uh, so that he could never play guitar again, but he could still sing. So they shot him something like 40 times. They murdered this artist now here's the Florida connection back in 2016 the murderer of Victor Hara was tried and convicted in a civil court back in 2016 a federal jury in Orlando in Florida of all places concluded that a former Chilean officer who had immigrated to the United States Uh, was liable for the torture and extrajudicial killing of Victor Jara back in 1973. The man's name is Pedro Pablo Barrientos and he's a naturalized American citizen living in Deltona. Uh, That's just outside of Daytona. Now, Barrientos was a member of DINA. He's a special officer and that was the secret intelligence agency under Pinochet that is responsible for all kinds of crimes against humanity. Now, he was not found criminally liable. Rather, he was found civilly liable for the death. And he owes uh, the Hada family $28 million dollars. (laughs) $28 He owes the Hada family $28 million in damages. Now, that's not going to happen, obviously. This guy uh, is a short order cook, just, you know, living in borderline poverty in Florida. Now, he fled to Florida in the 90s uh, after Pinochet was... To say deposed is, is, is not the right word. He, he was basically democratically ousted. Um, but his infrastructure remained in power in Chile up until very recently. And guess what? It's coming back. But Barrientos, you know, he should be extradited for this crime. Uh, he actually had his naturalization stripped because he lied on his immigration papers. It has nothing to do with the fact that he's a murderer. A torturer. A war criminal. The only punishment he has received so far. Is that he is no longer a citizen. That means he can't vote. Boo hoo. Uh, but this was seven years ago. More than seven years ago. And he's still living. Maybe comfortably. In Florida. He, is not, he does not need to atone for. For his crimes. In a recent poll in Chile, uh, more than a third of the people responded fondly uh, when asked about Pinochet. Uh, A lot of them believed that Pinochet had freed Chile from the terrors of Marxism. So, 50 years later, the ghosts is still there. And the way that the Chileans are choosing to remember things is odd. Um, just this year, the Chilean Senate was overtaken by the right wing. Uh, and they get to redraft the new constitution. That means that uh, the constitution that was in place under Pinochet is still it it's still in power and the party Pinochet's party is back in power in the Chilean Senate Boric the uh, Chilean president who I think campaigned on left-wing reforms during all those uh, riots and protests uh, he's turned out to be rather milk toast and maybe it's political negotiations, maneuvering, but he has been a massive disappointment uh, for the left wing in Chile. So the Chilean people are choosing to remember things based on their current material conditions. And that's very odd. That's just, I I don't know how to uh, understand that sometimes. Uh, It's pretty widely accepted that Pinochet was a war criminal, but, you know, it's, I guess it's easy to overlook these kinds of things if you feel like things are worse. Now, Chile is trying to continue to appropriately remember the horrors under Pinochet. Uh, they are still releasing documents from the United States that showed the U.S. complicity uh, in these uh, uh, events. Uh, one, one bit of information that continues to be released is the assassination of Orlando L'Atelier. Orlando L'Atelier was... Um, I think he was... Uh, 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 he, was Pino- uh, he was Allende's uh, economics guy. And he was imprisoned under Pinochet he managed to escape to the United States uh, and he would later be assassinated in the streets of Washington, D.C. In 1976, he was doing these, uh, basically, these tours around the country trying to tell people what was going on in Chile, all the extrajudicial murders, all the the disappearances. Uh, Pinochet didn't like that. So he and his Dina agents blew up Orlando Letelier's car on the streets of Washington D.C. Now what we're learning is that Nixon and Kissinger, Kissinger in particular, knew about it. He knew it was going to happen. He didn't stop it. it. It's it I cannot emphasize enough how crazy that is to permit a foreign country's secret intelligence service to explode and assassinate a political dissident in our nation's capital. We were cool with that because Dina was fucking scary, and they were nuts. There is a documentary on Amazon. I'd recommend watching a little bit of it. It gets kind of repetitive. It's called Sobrevivientes, uh, which means survivors. And what it is is it's a documentary series about Colonia Dignidad. Now, if you don't know what Colonia dignidad is, don't worry. Most people don't. It started off as a German homestead in post World War II Chile. It was a Christian cult, a Christian apocalyptic cult. But their apocalypse wasn't Jesus coming down from the sky. It was the communists, and so they're like, "We gotta get, we gotta get out of Europe. We gotta go, you know, farm some land far away." away from the communists because they're going to get us. So all these Germans went over to this massive plot of land in Chile and they started this homestead, this Christian homestead. Now, eventually, a man named Paul Schaefer would be put in charge of Colonia Dignidad. Paul Schaefer was a Nazi. Uh, Now, he wasn't allowed to be a, a proper Nazi soldier, Because as a young child, he tried to untie his shoelaces with a fork and he poked his own eye out. So he could not serve as a soldier. Um, Might have been a different story entirely had he not poked his eye out. Anyway, he took over as the charismatic leader of this Christian cult in Chile. And what he did for almost 40 years was... Systematic child sex abuse, torture, and murder. Colonia Dignidad, let me put it this way. Colonia Dignidad is basically if you combine Jeffrey Epstein's island with Guantanamo Bay. That's what that was. Paul Schaefer raped young boys for 40 years. Okay? And on top of that, he helped... Pinochet with the coup and he helped Pinochet's secret service Dina with the disappearances and the torture of dissidents. Now, Colonia Dignidad would host Pinochet and all kinds of dignitaries, politicians, businessmen, and they did what Epstein did, which was they filmed you having sex with children. They filmed you doing bad things. They blackmailed you sexually. So they were allowed to be this basically state within a state. So even after Pinochet's time ended, Colonia Dignidad had enough blackmail that it continued to survive uh, for years. Now, the Colonia, Colonia Dignidad, I think for me, I, I finally realized when people asked me, oh, what's your? are you a liberal, Isaac? What are you? Um... I don't feel qualified to call myself a communist. I don't do anything communistic or whatever. I don't belong to a labor union. I don't have a card that says I'm a communist. I've barely read any marks, to be fair. But I'm an anti-anti-communist. That's what I am. Because anti-communists are fucking evil. They have done horrible things throughout history and then get away with it. And Colonial Dignidad perfectly encapsulates that kind of anti-communist fervor. The apotheosis, this is the end product of anti-communism, are these sex abuse, torture, uh, 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 like, compounds. (laughs) I don't know. So anyway, this documentary interviews these survivors of colonial dignidad and they go through what life was like the torture the brainwashing the sex abuse it, it's it's rather horrific um, and it's in it's incredible that this place got to exist for as long as it did um, it was a training ground of sorts for uh, a global effort against anti-communism this is where the dina not just dina but you know anything under operation Conver which is the cia secret black op meant to overthrow any left-wing governments this is where they got their training they were manufacturing sarin gas in this place yosef Mengele visited colonia dignidad I, I mean it gets really crazy i'm not gonna go too much further into colonia dignidad and uh what all it was but it, the the choice to not remember this place now the place still exists it's like a, a tourist destination now I think it's called like Hotel Bavar- Bavaria or something like that um it's not a museum of torture they, they kind of mostly ignore it it seems but it is not properly remembered and this is what happens when you choose not to remember things appropriately. So how do we appropriately remember 9-11? Well, I, I think the, the fact that it's a, a, a single day, it happened on a day, and it's contained in a single holiday, is part of the problem. Um, it shouldn't just be a day. You know, this, this is an ongoing thing and it hasn't stopped. Um, new information is coming out slowly. Uh, Dan Christensen, who's been on the show before, you know, he, he continues to get documents from the U.S. government that show that the narrative we were given was a lie, that the Saudis were incredibly complicit in this thing, and that it has been covered up by the CIA, by the FBI, by the U.S. government for years and continues to be. Like, we still don't know the full story. But how do you get people to care with this slow drip where it's just you're supposed to look into it briefly, like, once a year? And I think part of it, too, is, like, every time now 9-11 happens, we're, we're saturated with the media of the event. There are so many angles to see the planes hitting... The towers, which, you know, it, that was a an incredibly powerful visual, but now it's it, it's it's rendered, you know, neutral. Uh, I saw someone made a video of uh, baguettes hitting two Eiffel towers as like a, a a meme, another 9/11 meme, and maybe that's part of the problem. Is there isn't uh, it, it's not treated with reverence now. It it's not treated it sincerely. It's a joke. And one response I get from people a lot these days when I tell them what what's happening, what happened, uh, what happened today, or what happened 50 years ago, everyone says, I'm not surprised by anything anymore. That's the problem. You should be surprised. You should be outraged. If we reach this point, this sort of saturated horror where nothing gets by us anymore, then... If nothing moves us, nothing scares us. We don't care. That that's that seems like it's. I'm not gonna say it's by design, but it certainly helps out the the things we should be trying to fight, the the powers we should be trying to fight. And there isn't any good. There's no good 9/11 culture anymore. There's no movies. There's no TV. There's no art. So the only thing that's left are internet jokes. And I know I can be a contrarian. I have that that bone in me. Uh, but the one thing I am not, and I don't want anyone to confuse me for, is a contrarian nihilist. I do not oppose mainstream ideas for the sake of opposing them. Your contrarianism is a tool to fight something else, to fight for a truth. So, don't confuse me for that. Because it's that kind of nihilism that makes something like Guantanamo Bay still with us. Don't forget that there are still people in prison extrajudicially who have been there for decades who are in Guantanamo Bay because of 9-11. So (laughs) don't do that. And speaking of Guantanamo Bay, here's a bit more Florida news because I got to do the Florida thing. But there was a New York times article this week that said that the story of Ron DeSantis, Being complicit in torture at Guantanamo Bay when he was a JAG officer there back in 2006, uh, the New York Times said they found quote no evidence, no evidence. The story titled "Inside the Unfounded Claim that DeSantis Abused Guantanamo Detainees" and it's written by, I'm guessing they're a married couple. Matthew Rosenberg and Carol Rosenberg. Now what they did was interview only Guantanamo Bay officers. And they all said, No, nothing nothing untoward happened. He was he he had nothing to do with anything there. Um it is a remarkable case of access journalism. You know, Carol Rosenberg uh, has been the Guantanamo reporter for 20 years now. And you don't get to be that reporter if you bust their chops. So um, I would not take her word on anything about Guantanamo Bay. She is, in fact, a mouthpiece for the state. That's how this kind of access journalism works, and I know some of my friends are going to, my journalist friends are going to be upset with me, but this is true. I hate to break it to you, and I spoke with uh, Mike Prizer yesterday. Mike, uh, he runs this uh, left-wing independent news media called Eyes Left, and it was Mike, who first interviewed Mansoor Adiafe, and he, Mansoor, was the first detainee to call out DeSantis for the torture. Uh, Mansoor claimed that he even threw up on DeSantis uh, during one of the forced feeding events. Now, DeSantis, just as a refresher for everybody, was sent to Guantanamo Bay as a JAG officer, a very young JAG officer, after having really no experience in this kind of area. Like the fact that they sent a very young guy who had been just doing very menial tasks to Guantanamo Bay. Very curious stuff. Now, this was the most intense time at Guantanamo Bay because there was a massive hunger strike going on, organized by the detainees. DeSantis went there And supposedly it was his job to talk to the detainees to advocate for their rights and say, hey, what hurts you? Like, what are we doing that that sucks? So ostensibly we can stop. Well, Mansour said he told DeSantis, this is what what makes it intolerable for us. This is what we want improved. Well, after Mansour told DeSantis... Uh, what he wanted improved. The opposite happened, in fact. During the force feedings, for instance, Mansour said that it is very painful when it scrapes us, if it's sharp, or the size of the tube itself. So what do they do? They sharpened the tube and they made it bigger. Now what I find particularly appalling about this article, besides the fact that uh, the people who are Most excited in support of the article are people like Ann Coulter, who in a tweet said, Who to believe, a Muslim terrorist or Ron DeSantis? Uh, So, guess whose side you're on there? Uh, But one of the things that was most upsetting about this reporting, quote unquote, uh, is that it passes over the three detainees who were found dead hanging in their cells. These were the three leaders of the hunger strike, and they were found dead, beaten, with their hands tied behind them, hanging. And it was initially ruled a suicide. So the fact that they only briefly to say, oh, the, the three people died, and not looking at it whatsoever, the circumstances, tells you like what they want you to look at. Now, it's very funny timing that they would want to absolve DeSantis of this. I mean, DeSantis, dead in the water. Everybody, I mean, if you're in Florida, worry about this guy because he's selling out the state from underneath us. But nationally, he's toast. Don't worry. It's fine. But why they felt the need to write this, I I, I wonder. So I actually reached out to Mike Pryser, and we were chatting about it a little bit. And he said... That Carol Rosenberg is incredibly territorial over Guantanamo Bay reporting. So, part of it, Mike guesses, and Mike's going to be on the show in the next couple of weeks to talk about this very thing. uh, He believes that she's territorial and so is maybe bitter about it. Um, But again the 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 kind of this this kind of reporting this kind of remembering is how it continues and the way we remember things it's not our fault necessarily um, you know they're still slowly releasing information about the JFK assassination. They keep delaying stuff. I mean, legally, they were supposed to have put it out under, you know, Trump or Obama even, but they keep pushing it back, pushing it back. Same with 9-11. They keep, they give us this slow drip, this tiny little drip of, of information. And you just, you get distracted. You don't see it. You don't remember. You don't pay attention. And so really, it's like a slow decay of history. You know, I, I look at these kinds of the, the truth if you're in a cave with like the stalactites. You know, that's that's how information gets released to us is like it's this stalactite of 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 truth. This slow, tiny drip. It takes forever to get there <laughs> to build the thing. So by the time it the, by the time the truth actually comes out, everyone is going to shrug their shoulders. They don't care. By the time the information comes out, we're going to have a whole host of different problems we're dealing with. And it's just going to be like, 9-11? I don't fucking care about that. Like I, I care about how I'm going to get clean water for my family to drink. And that's by design. That's where I'm cynical and conspiratorial. So anyway... I'm going to quote myself here, <laughs> embarrassingly. I wrote a story uh, earlier this month about going on uh, the Great Florida Cattle Drive. And what that was was it was a seven-day, six-night horseback ride through the last bits of old Florida. And it was kind of like a, a Civil War reenactment. You know, we dressed up like cowboys from, you know, 150 years ago and pushed cattle through these beautiful bits of Florida that I'd never seen before. And what was interesting was all the cowboys I was talking to, all the ranchers. They're pretty resigned to the fact that this way of life is over. You know, the, the development is too strong. They can't you can't stop it. Can't stop it. So it's dead. Florida cowboy culture, we were the first cowboys by the way, Florida cowboy culture is dead. But everything dies. Everything's going to die. But for something to not be remembered is for it to die twice. And so I think we all have to make a special effort in remembering so keep
1: your eyes open. <laughs> que funde todo el clamor, el derecho de vivir.